Welcome to A Street in Lockdown. This podcast is an insight into the lives of people who live in and around one road and how the COVID-19 outbreak has affected them. I'm Jane Vickers and live in West Hove on the UK's south coast. Though neighbours, I'd never met most of the people taking part and because of the rules around social distancing, all the conversations you'll hear were virtual. I hope it's not too long until we can meet face to face. But in the meantime, this is a street in lockdown. My name's Fran Bolter. I'm 56 years old. I am currently employed as a service development manager and I live in St. Leonard's Road. Fran, start by describing your life before coronavirus and the lockdown. What what was a what was a week in the life, a day in the life of of you? So I I'm I retired in April 2019 from a very senior manager job in the NHS, and I went back to work in May last year, three, working three days a week, and that was to create some time to um, enjoy all the things I hadn't been able to do when I was working in such a high powered job. I we got a puppy so I spent a lot of my time walking with the dog on the downs trying to stay fit Um, we had some extensive building work done to the house so we had to move out for four months so that was a strange time Um, we have four children and three grandchildren Uh, they all live in various parts of the country so we enjoyed spending time with them we are um, very keen on spending quite a bit of time in the remote parts of Scotland. So we have a, a big group of friends who go every year to an island called Collinsey, which is in the Inner Hebrides. And we would go there and spend lots of time with them, have a, an amazing time. Um, we went to Vegas. We've been to many places in Europe. So we spent a lot of time traveling, seeing family. And also I have um, a large group of friends so we would see friends um I'm in a book group I'm part of an allotment I was thinking about volunteering and possibly going back and doing a master's course so I had lots of things planned Mm. um when I'd kind of settled back down into part-time working um so we had a very active life yeah it sounds full-on <laughs> yeah it was full um, on. Yeah. <laughs> very sociable very uh, yeah enriched full amazing yeah, yeah. so so what, what, just describe the build-up to lockdown, what that was like for you and now your experience of that. So just a little bit of that kind of when it started to dawn on you that this was going to be quite a big thing. So I, I think I was very much in denial at the beginning. I'm very fit and healthy um, and um, I... I didn't really worry about getting sick. I worried about elderly parents getting sick. So my first thought was about how we could protect our respective parents who are all in their 80s and my father-in-law was in his 90s. But for myself, I didn't really um, internalise how serious it would become. I um, was was sensible, um, but I didn't think that it would... Um, impact on my life really and it was really um, a shock a real shock existentially when I realized that um, we were going to be so severely restricted so I think my first response was to be in denial 
Um, my second response when it did dawn on me what it was going to be like was I felt quite depressed. I felt quite down. I started to think about the logistics of how I was going to walk my one-year-old Labrador if we were only allowed at once a day. Um, I thought about, you know, practical things like shopping and getting things. Um, but actually, from a mood point of view, I felt very miserable and I have had days where that has been really difficult. But I think I have adjusted. I think I've got used to a different routine and a new normal. But my initial response was really um, just very scared, really. And and I think quite selfishly how it was going to impact on my life um, and what I would be allowed to do and what I would not be allowed to do. I was interested there about you talk about the range of emotions, that wheel. It's almost like a wheel of emotions, isn't it? That Mm, you mm. you kind of go through um, and that cycle, I'm sure lots of people can relate to that uh, changeable mm. nature of it and and adjusting is a theme isn't it that lots of people talk about adjusting and mm. and and um kind of adapting to to all of that what do you think was behind well I don't want to be miserable or morbid about this but what was no. the what was the low bit about thinking about all of this and what was that what was behind that do you think I think because as I described in my introduction I had really embraced the idea that my time was my own and I could do things and obviously we're financially quite comfortable now um, because you know of the long slog really of getting to this point and we had plans to do things and I suddenly realized that an external control um, was taking over my life and I and I had felt very autonomous up, up until that point so planning and I think you know our age we're at that age where you know this feels selfishly like it's our time so I felt like my wings were being clipped mm. but I also think I think personality comes into it so I I am a different personality to my husband for example I'm someone who who um, I think gets a lot of my self-worth um, and sense of who I am from my external network. I, I learn a lot. You know, I enjoy being with other people. And to be so um, curtailed in my movements of, of not just my plans, but also my contact with people um, just had a very profound effect on me initially. Mm. And until I had processed that, and thought about what that was, and and I guess because I'm I've worked in mental health all my life, life I've kind of got insight into what might be going on, and I have learned a long time ago that these emotions are really important to kind of acknowledge and and deal with, and you know take on board, and and it's okay sometimes to be miserable because you come out the other end and you learn something from mm. that. So I kind of stayed with it. Um, my sleep was affected for a while and I also I, I'm working at home um, and you know constant zoom constant skype and so I was just knackered I felt so tired um, which I know lots of people are talking about it's a different way of communicating yeah and that took a bit of adjusting to yeah I can appreciate that Talk about your relatives then I mean you've got some elderly relatives that must be a huge kind of concern for you because obviously they're in that vulnerable group um Mm. how have you been coping and dealing with all of that 
So do you mean practically? Yeah, and, and emotionally. I mean, what's that been like, the support that you've had to offer your relatives? How has that worked? Okay, so I... So my mum emails me. She fortunately is email literate. So my mum, who is 85, she emails me on a Sunday. And on a Monday, I go and pay for her papers. And I go to a smaller supermarket with her list. And I do her shopping. And I queue to go in. And I, I memorise the list before I go in. So I don't have to go backwards and forwards. And then I deliver the shopping to their garden have a quick chat with them and then I come home and then she does the same thing again on a Wednesday and then I go to a slightly bigger supermarket because that's a slightly bigger shop and I go back and I and I deliver the shopping so social distancing chatting to them over a, a door and just checking in on them and then ringing them every day my father-in-law who lives in Eastbourne who's 92 We'd, we have for uh, eight years in October done all his cooking. So we, um, my husband used to go three times a week with dinners. And now what we do is we do seven dinners on a Saturday morning. Um, and we deliver them on a Saturday afternoon. I don't go. My husband goes in. He drops them in the kitchen and his dad stays in the um, lounge. And so we have adapted, but obviously it's no mean feat doing seven dinners in one round. Um, and But, you know, we think about that and he's got a fridge and he kind of heats them up in the microwave. How I do think, you do that then? How do you, I'm just interested in the practicality <laughs> of that. How do you choose what's on the menu? I mean, that's, okay, so we, we that's... on a Saturday we'll cook a roast. So we'll do three roast dinners. We'll do all the trimmings. Then this week, for example, we did him two salads, so that's five dinners. Then we did him sausages and chops for two dinners with mashed potatoes. So they're all things that are easily microwavable. Yeah. And then we get his, I get his shopping. So I'm shopping for elderly relatives. And actually, up until quite recently, I was shopping for neighbours too, um, who couldn't go out, who were socially isolating. So my immediate neighbours, if I go to the supermarket... You know, that elusive thing like a bag of flour, if I saw one, I'd grab one for the neighbours too because, um, you know, they've got small children and people initially couldn't quite work out the mechanisms of going shopping. Yeah. And things were very scarce, like, you know, you, 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 your sort of toilet roll and the things I've just talked, you yeah. know, flour, eggs, you know, things that people were using that are showing how people's behaviour was changing. Um you, you kind of got one and then you got one for somewhere else if you were allowed. Yeah. That's kind of eased off a bit. Um, I'm not doing that so much because people are now getting online shopping slots and they're able to organise themselves. But for a while, that's what I was doing. It sounds like a huge amount of juggling of your time. Not only are you doing your job, but you're also shopping for your shopping and cooking for relatives. That's yeah. a, a lot, yeah. isn't it? A lot to take on. With my husband, so my husband, um, he was working, um, he retired in November, he went back to work and he he, he um, was managing with a colleague an allotment and so his work dried up, so he's been at home um, in a way he wouldn't normally be at home, so we've kind of, we, we work very well together as a team, we've been, we've been cooking for my father-in-law for so long now that we're just used to it. Yeah. Tell me a bit about um, your work life and how that's, I mean, you're obviously working at home, but 
you must be hugely concerned about those people that you support as well. I mean, do you find that that's something that's on your mind? I don't work clinically. Um, I am still a nurse. I have kept my registration and I've had lots of requests to um, go and work back on the front line. And I also had a request yesterday um, to uh, administer a testing, COVID testing clinic. Um, so I'm I'm on that group of people who've got clinical skills that they're quite keen to um, utilise. In answer to your question, um, I because I'm not working frontline, most of my working life has been about sorting out the IT, which has been hugely challenging. It's been about containing anxieties for the staff who who are having to kind of adjust to a new way of working. Um, it's I've, I've picked up PPE equipment for staff. I've kind of um, tried to kind of keep the business agenda going, which has been really difficult. Certainly in the early days, that was really difficult. Tried to kind of recruit staff um, over Skype. Um, you know, just tried to kind of keep the wheels on the bus while we're doing this. Um, just going back to my earlier point, I mean, my my ambivalence about going back and working on the front line is purely around that network that I described to you. So if I get sick, I'm a 50% big part of, of the kind of network around the elderly relatives falling down. Yeah. Um, and my husband relies heavily on me for emotional and practical support. So we work very well as a unit. And I, I think you know, I have to be a bit careful about offering in a really altruistic way my services and thinking about my responsibilities. And I don't want to get sick either. You know, I, I don't have any underlying health conditions, but every day that you're not sick, you feel like you're lucky. Have you grappled with that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, as as I I suspect, I don't know. As I as I suspect, a lot of people do. So I can just tell you a little story, which is which kind of sums up. Um, I have a really good friend, um, a man in his kind of fifties, a gay man in his fifties, who loves clothes and buys a lot of expensive clothes. And he bought a really expensive suit, and um, that that he got in one of the sales in one of the posh shops in the lanes. And he got invited to have a drink on the wall of some neighbours one Sunday afternoon and he decided that he was going to put this suit on to sit on the wall for an hour and his rationale for that was I don't want to die and never having worn this beautiful suit and for me that was just such an amazing story because I start getting things out of the wardrobe not necessarily consciously and think I'm going to wear that and in the back of my mind and sometimes consciously I think because if I'm going to die I, I want to wear because I bought it and it's got a label on it. So I think I think it's kind of a humorous way of saying I have grappled with that. People my age have died, and that and and I think it makes us all think about our mortality. Something like this. Mm. And are yeah. you are you worried about? Is your ultimate fear about getting it? Then what do you think you your is on your mind about that? I'm not fearful of it now. I don't, I don't, I, I think I've gone beyond thinking if I stand 1.8 meters away from that person, you know, I'm going to drop down tomorrow. I, I think I, I've never been some, you know, I see a lot of stuff on Facebook where people are sort of shocked horror at the ice cream van on the seafront. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't react to things like that. I think, 
I do my bit. Uh, I'm I'm obedient in terms of the guidelines, but I think I also exercise a bit of common sense, and I I'm not in the stage now where I'm panicking. I think I've settled down. Um, I think you know I I, I understand how viruses work. Um, I think I, I just don't feel unsettled by it anymore. I don't feel anxious by it anymore. Um, and a bit, and well, I understand that people are really anxious by it, but I'm not off the scale of mm. it. I think I've just got used to this being the way things are. But I, but I do understand that people are highly anxious, and um, yeah, I I I don't know if I've just got beyond it. Mm. I mean, what I did notice a lot at the beginning is that we were drinking a lot more wine. You know, that was a way of coping. Um, we've sort of settled down now, trying to kind of stay off the wine in the week, try to get back to some sort of life, because it just felt like we were on an enforced holiday. <laughs> um, it, it was weird. It yeah. wasn't a holiday, but it wasn't normal either. It was that in-betweeny place. Yeah, absolutely. No, I know exactly what you mean. And what do you, I mean, are you starting to think about what happens off what happens next and what you're hoping we get out of all of this because we I mean it's worth saying that we're week we're going into week well we're in week six now we've just started into we've rolled into week six of lockdown um there is a fatigue out there isn't there what there absolutely I think is. where people are kind of okay what's next what what do you hope for that will come out of all of this? Are you just kind of look? Let's just get on with it and let's get out of this now. What stage are you at in 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 dealing with it all? I think that you know logically we can't just go back to how things were before. I think there will be a, a, a gradual increase of activity, which will obviously be carefully monitored in terms of kind of an upsurge of infections and death the thing I really don't want to do um, is I don't want to have to wear a mask when I go out I would rather not go out and I think there's an element of vanity in that but I but I just I just find the idea of that really difficult I, I find it really surreal seeing people in the supermarket with masks on I think um but I understand why I just don't want to do it myself I don't know what that's about but I also feel that things will gradually be relaxed. Uh, I, I thought, you know, that's a really difficult task to get that right. Um, I think they'll monitor that very closely. I, I worry that if we can go and see family, you know, we've got a seven-month-old baby in the um, in the family. My, my my anxiety would heighten about seeing. I'm almost anxious about seeing my extended family in case we're putting them at risk. So there's an element of caring about the people around. And and, and it feels like, you know, it's not like baby steps, but I think we will all get very anxious again. You know, when we start to step out of our front doors, mm. it's going to start to feel really strange. What's the best thing about what we've all been through in the last five weeks, would you say, for you? So the best thing for me has been um, spending some time at home, um, spending some time reading, doing some puzzles, having a bit of a think, doing my garden, 
Um, I think also it's given me a chance to kind of evaluate how busy I was before and how tiring that was and and thinking about just ringing people rather than texting people. I've rung people, I've had chats with people. I think my the sense of community in our street has just been absolutely humbling. I've talked to more people in St. Leonard's Road in the last six weeks than I have in 16 years. I've formed fantastic relationships with people, which is which is fantastic. I mean, that has been wonderful to just get to know people because you're, you know, they're not going out or you're not going out. You're sort of stuck. So you've got to interact and, you know, find out a bit more about people that has been amazing Mm. it's been amazing to go out with my dog on the beach early or late on my own and just take stock you know just think about you know how how fragile life is how random it's been about people you know it's not all been random obviously in a care home it's not random but you know there's some really random cases about people who who are fit and healthy and have been struck down and died yeah and and really count my blessings you know really think about how lucky I am to have got to this age without all that terrible health conditions that makes you so much more vulnerable um so I think it's been really positive. It's been really positive to just stop um, mm. and not be travelling around and, you know, um, rushing from one meeting to another in the traffic. Um, the There's been a real peace. You know, you can. I, I've really noticed the birds and some of the stuff you see on social media about the animals coming back in the streets, the you know, the reduced level of pollution globally. Uh, and I think it's really important that we think globally about the planet. Um, you know, the, 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 I mean, ironically, I think the level of asthma cases has gone down because people are just not exposed to pollution anymore. So those kind of things, I think, you know, on a, on a global level, but on a personal level... Um, apart from all the things that are challenging, actually there's been lots of things that have been really positive. So what's the first thing that you'll do post-lockdown? Oh, I think I'll go to Marks and Spencer's. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I'm desperate to go to Marks and Spencer's. Is that, is that the wrong thing to say? Not at all, no. There's no right or wrong I'm answer. Desperate to Anything go in, in particular? Oh, just a shop. Any shop. Just wander around a shop. Browse. <laughs> Excellent. Fran, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. It's a real pleasure to talk to you and thanks yeah, for and you, being Jane. so open. I really appreciate it. Oh, Look forward really to meeting you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take care, Jane. Thanks for listening to A Street in Lockdown. For more stories, go to a streetinlockdown.co.uk.